Now, we're ready. Okay, so Philippians. We're in the fourth week of our series on Philippians, and that takes us up to chapter 2. We're in verses 12 through 18. So if you have your Bible, you can grab that or the app on your phone, or you can follow along on the screens as well. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation." Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul says, do everything without grumbling. Do everything without arguing. Some translations say, do everything without complaining. That seems pretty simple, right? Do everything without grumbling. Now, I say this often, but typically when we read Scripture, when we read the Bible, there's more going on than what we see. If you grew up in my era, that means Transformers, right? Transformers, more than meets the eye? Anybody? No? Okay, great. There's more than meets the eye. And I think the same thing is true this morning. What we just read, chapter 2, verses 12 through 18, if we just scratch the surface a little bit, there's more going on than what we might see if we just read it at first glance. Paul's doing something in this text this morning. He's using language that he hopes reminds us of another story. Now, if I say grumbling and complaining, is there any other Bible story that you know of that those words come up often? Anybody? Moses, Exodus story, right? The Exodus story. So, Paul is, is using language to bring up this story of Exodus, to make us remember the story of of the Exodus. Now, the big question now is why? What does the Exodus story have to do with the church in Philippi? What does the Exodus story have to do with our church here at the corner of 116th and Michigan? What does the Exodus story have to do with it? So, just to recap, the story of the Exodus is the story of a group of Israelites, God's people, they're called, right? They were slaves in Egypt. And God reaches out his hand in an act of grace and mercy, and he rescues them from slavery. But the people, even though they are free now and rescued, they grumble and they complain. Moses has take, takes them across the Red Sea. They get into the desert, and they begin to grumble, and they begin to complain. They ask Moses, why did you bring us out here? Did you bring us out here to die? They grumble and they complain, and they just don't quite get it. And so when Paul says, do everything without grumbling and complaining, I think what he's actually saying is, don't be like them. Don't be like the Israelites. Instead, shine like stars. I was fortunate enough when I was studying in college to be living in the metropolis known as Cincinnati. 
Uh-oh. Cincinnati is, um, is, well, Cincinnati, Cincinnati, right? Does anybody know the famous Mark Twain quote about Cincinnati? No? Well, it goes something like this. When the world comes to an end, I want to be in Cincinnati because it's always 20 years behind the times. <laughs> having, lived, having lived in Cincinnati, uh, I, would, I can't argue with that, um, but uh, that's what Mark Twain has to say. So there's one perk about being in Cincinnati. There was one perk about studying there, and that was uh, there was a school in Cincinnati called Hebrew Union. Hebrew Union is one of the largest uh, rabbinical schools in the country. So if you want to be a rabbi, if you're Jewish and you want to be a rabbi, you, a lot of people go to Hebrew Union. So I was able to take Old Testament courses at Hebrew Union, which was very, very cool. So studying the Old Testament scripture as a Christ follower uh, with a full-fledged rabbi as your professor was very, very cool, a very unique experience. I remember being in one of those classes, and I remember the teacher, the professor, talking about one of these stories that had been passed down from rabbi to rabbi to rabbi. And it was a story about the Exodus. It was a story about how these Israelites were saved, they were freed, they were liberated, but yet they continued to grumble and complain and argue. And so the story goes like this. There were two former slaves, two Israelites, that were being taken out of Egypt by Moses. Moses comes to the Red Sea, and he parts the Red Sea. The first Israelite walks through, and he says, This is gross. There is mud all over the place. There is mud all over my sandals. The next Israelite behind him, You're right. This is disgusting. All the slime and all the mud is between my toes. It'd be better if we were back in Egypt. And so the story goes that these two Israelites walk through the parted Red Sea, arguing, complaining, and grumbling about the mud between their toes. And they keep looking at their feet and talking about how terrible this is. All the while missing the fact that there are two walls of water on either side of them being held back for their safety, for their freedom, and for their liberation. But they don't see it because they just look at their muddy feet. And so they tell this story. And of course, this has nothing to do with our world today, right? Paul essentially takes the Exodus story and he flips it around and he says, you aren't like them. Paul's essentially saying how the story went back then is not how the story has to go today. How the story went is not how the story has to go. They missed the point, but you don't have to miss the point. They may have grumbled and complained, but you don't have to. Do everything without grumbling and complaining so that you might shine like stars. And that's how the story went. They complained, they grumbled about the mud on their sandals, the mud between their toes. They thought it would be better just to go back to Egypt and be slaves. It's how the story went, but it's not how it has to go. And that's true for us today. Your father might have been an alcoholic, but that doesn't mean that you have to be. Your mother may have been emotionally distant when you were growing up, but that doesn't mean that you have to be. Your parents' marriage may have fallen apart, but that doesn't mean that yours has to. The way the story went is not the way the story has to go. We have the ability to break cycles and to create 
a new kind of tomorrow, to create a new kingdom, which is what Paul is talking about, a kingdom that Jesus has been talking about. And Paul is trying to build and kind of architect this kingdom, this new thing, through churches like the church in Philippi, through churches like ZPC here at 116th in Michigan. Shine like stars in this world. And how do you shine like stars? Well, Paul says, don't grumble and don't complain. Now, I know that some of you haven't heard anything I've said because you've been staring at this gong the whole time. And I don't blame you because it is quite the gong. And check this thing out. Now, I don't do this a lot, but I couldn't pass it up. One, because I get to hit the gong. (laughs) Two, uh, the Greek word for grumbling is gongismas. Say it with me. Gongismas. And of course, what do you hear at the beginning of that word? Gong. And that's exactly what it means, to make noise. To make noise with your mouth. To grumble. To complain. To argue. Now, so maybe another way to say it is this. Do everything without gonging. Now, I'm going to hit this thing, and I'm going to warn you that it is loud. And I've been told you have to do this. This is priming the gong, which we often do when we gong as well. But here we go. Are you ready for this? Okay. (laughs) Oh. Oh, I'm so sorry. I know, that's how I feel when people gong all the time. (laughs) Paul actually uses the same picture in his letter to the Corinthians when he talks about love in chapter 13. He says, if I can speak in the languages of men and I can speak in the language of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a resounding gong. I just make noise. It'd be maybe good for us to have one of these in our homes. And when an offending family member starts gonging, you can just gong, right? Maybe you have one in your car. You run into that traffic, right? Or that construction. I know you guys. And you think, this construction's the worst. They're putting a roundabout in every block. I can't get around anywhere. I've heard you. I've heard you talk. But really, is it really that important? Is it really worth grumbling over? Or are we just gonging, right? A teacher could have one of these in their classroom. Students walk up to the teacher. student begins to explain why they haven't turned in their work. Because you're just gonging. You're just making noise with your mouth. Remember the gong show? Actually, I, I, get, I heard that it's been, been remade. They like, have a new gong show out now, so you don't have to remember it. You can watch it now. Anyway, do you remember... The, you got gonged when no one wanted to hear you anymore. When we were tired of you, you got gonged. When we gong, when we make noise, when we grumble and when we complain, I think the question that I have is, what's really going on? Because is, is, is construction really that big of a deal? Is traffic really that big of a deal? What's really going on? Well, it seems to me that we grumble and we complain because we forget. Remember those two Israelites we talked about earlier? The ones who were staring at their feet, staring at their muddy toes, walking across the Red Sea. 
The reason they grumbled and they complained is because they forgot what was on either side of them. They forgot that they were being saved and freed and liberated. And remember when they got to the other side of the Red Sea and they, they walked out and they never grumbled and complained again? No, you don't remember that because it didn't happen. No, they got out of the desert on the other side and what did they say? They said, no water? Are you kidding me, Moses? Where's the food, Moses? I have blisters on my feet, Moses. Are we there yet, Moses? We forget, and we forget really quickly. We forget that God delivered us. We forget that we've been saved. We forget, we forget, we forget to remember. And Scripture is good about reminding us to remember. To remember grace and mercy. To remember that all of this stuff, everything, our relationships, our friendships, our children, everything is a gift. We grumble and complain because we forget to remember. My daughter, Emma, started playing softball this past year. If you've never seen seven- and eight-year-olds play softball, it is quite the experience. I would recommend it highly. It's organized chaos at its best because you have some kids who actually know what they're doing, and then you have some kids who have no idea what they're doing and are out there chasing butterflies and picking, you know. It's chaos. And then you have the parents. And you hear parents yelling things like, come on, get a hit. Come on. Run, 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 run. Throw it, throw it, throw it. And, all, and so many of these kids, insert sarcasm here, so many of those kids come up to their mom and dad after the game, don't they? And they say, mom, dad, thank you. When you told me to get a hit, I decided I was going to get a hit. That was helpful advice. Thank you so much. No, they don't do that. They don't do that at all. At one of these events, and I'm going to call it an event because I'm not sure it qualifies as a game, but at one of these events, um, one of the girls from the other team ran over to the fence because her dad had waved her over. And this seven- or eight-year-old girl came to the fence, and her dad, her father, um, proceeded to pretty harshly uh, tell her what she had been doing wrong out in the field. Seven or eight years old. And there's a part of me that I just wanted to, I wanted to call a timeout. Just time out for a second, guys. Is this the time or place to chastise a seven or eight-year-old girl for her actions on the field of play of a seven and eight-year-old softball game? No. Part of the reason it's not the time or place is because I looked around and I thought, you know what? It's a beautiful day. The weather was fantastic. There was a breeze blowing. The grass was green. I wanted to tell this guy, you have a daughter. You have a healthy daughter. I understand that she's running to third base when she's supposed to be running to first base. But you have a beautiful daughter. She's just out there enjoying herself. I wanted to say you have the resources to pay for her to wear that uniform. You have the resources to pay for her to play this game. You have the freedom to come and watch this game. You have the resources to take her to the game to drive her back home from the game, the ability to put gas in your car. 8% of the people in the world have cars. 
a third of Americans have more than two cars. And I don't say that to shame. I say that so that we're reminded that it's a gift. Life is a gift. This day is a gift. A child is a gift. A healthy child is a gift. We gong and we grumble and we complain when we forget to remember that today is a gift. The breath that we breathe is a gift. And perhaps that's why Paul is reminding us of the Exodus story. Reminding us that there's a larger story than what we often choose to tell. Right? The story that we often like to tell is the story about ourselves. We like to say, I'm so upset. You wouldn't believe how long the line was at Kroger. I had to wait forever. The person in front of me wrote a check. Can you believe it? We say things like, this parenting thing is just so hard. We say things like, car shopping is such a pain. Our new house is great, but we really need to sell the previous one. We just got home from vacation. You wouldn't believe how much I have to do to catch up. We have the resources to have those problems. We have the free time to have actually created those messes. We have to be reminded of the larger story. Maybe that's why if you read through the book of Deuteronomy, which I know you guys do on a probably monthly basis, um, in Deuteronomy, there's a phrase that comes back time and time again. And the phrase is, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Deuteronomy 15, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Deuteronomy 24, always remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Deuteronomy 5, remember that you were slaves in a foreign land. Deuteronomy 28, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that God redeemed you. And on and on it goes. Why do they need reminded? Scripture is telling us to remember. Why do we need to remember? So that we're reminded that this story, this is how the story went. But it's not how the story has to go. And in order for this kingdom thing to work, that Paul is talking about, in order for this kingdom thing to work, you have to remember. You have to remember so that things are different. You have to remember so that you stand out. You have to remember so that you can shine like stars. And I would push a little bit and say, shine like stars in a world where the native language is grumbling and complaining, where the native language is arguing and manipulating and positioning and bickering. Have you ever spent any time on social media? Facebook, Twitter, pick which one you want. We love to complain. We love to think that people love to hear us complain, don't we? We love to argue. We love to bicker. We like to take sides, all the while hiding behind our screens and our keyboards. But what if we, what if we stood out? What if we were to shine like stars in the midst of a culture that feeds hurtful and destructive words? It's not until we stand out. It's not until we shine. It's not until we choose to say, I love you, rather than I can't stand you. It's not until we choose to say, what can I do, rather than what can you do. It's not until we choose to say, I was wrong, rather than I'm always right, that this kingdom thing starts to build itself. Paul had that in mind when he was writing this letter to the church in Philippi. In order to make a difference, we have to somehow be different. 
In order to make a difference, we have to somehow be different. We have to stand out and shine like stars. We have to remember to look up from our muddy sandals and our muddy toes and look up and reminded, be reminded that we're surrounded by a God that saves, we're surrounded by a God that frees, and we're surrounded by a God that redeems and restores. As I was thinking about this this past week, I, started, I was trying to think of people that shine like stars. What does it look like to shine like stars? I think about those who've spent or are spending their lives bringing about this kingdom that Jesus talked about. I think about people that have spent or are spending their lives continuing to build this kingdom that Paul had begun to kind of architect and build through churches like the church in Philippi and through churches like CPC. I think about people like Mother Teresa. My bet is that Mother Teresa didn't go around complaining that her shoes didn't match her outfit. That's my, my guess. And I think she didn't complain because she had stuff to do. She had stuff to do. Martin Luther King didn't grumble about being in prison. He didn't grumble about the legal system when he was in prison because he had stuff to do. And it's easy to pick those pe- kind of people out, but and you're going to hate me for this, but I think about people like Joe Loudenback. Joe's somebody here. He, he's in our church family. He's right here. I don't hear Joe grumbling or complaining about how early he has to get up so they can hang out with a group of high school students before school during the week. And I don't hear him complaining because he's got something to do. I think about my friend Brooke. Brooke used to live in Carmel, Indiana. She was a nurse. Six years ago, she moved to Haiti to live there and to serve kids. I don't hear Brooke talking about how difficult her Whole30 diet is because she's got something better to do. Now, I think about Haiti. I think about this past spring. This past spring, uh, I had the opportunity to go to Haiti with about 40 high school students, and we spent a week digging trenches in the Haitian dirt, cutting back brush with machetes. And I don't know if you've been to Haiti, but it is hot, like, like really hot. And we spent a week doing that, and the one thing that I didn't hear was grumbling or complaining. And they would have had every right. We spent the week in Haiti, and then we started our journey home. Right? Only to arrive in Atlanta to find out that our flight had been delayed. It's not the end of the world, right? Well, then a few hours later, we found out that it's delayed again. This is not the greatest thing. Well, then we find out a little bit later that the flight is just flat out canceled. Canceled. All together, canceled. Forty students stuck in the Atlanta airport, sleeping on the floor, which we have a picture of. Sleeping on the floor, waiting on another flight, only to find out that there are no other flights because Delta has made a mess of things. There might not be flights for potentially a couple days, and so what do we do? We charter a bus so that we can drive from Atlanta back to Indy. So 10 more hours in a bus after a week of digging trenches and a night spent in the Atlanta airport. The one thing I didn't hear was grumbling and complaining, which amazed me. The reason it amazed me, well, first, the reason I think we didn't hear grumbling and complaining is because they had spent a week playing a part in the larger story. They had spent a week 
playing a part in the larger story. Now, what was I doing while this was going on? This is a tweet. <laughs> if you're in the back and you can't read it, it says, Not cool, Delta. Flight home for 42 students delayed, delayed, uh, canceled. No attempt to make it right, no communication, now this. And I send a picture of all of our students sleeping on the floor. I was looking at my feet. I was focused on the mud between my toes. All the while missing out on the miracle around me, missing out on the larger story, missing out on the wonder and missing out on the grace because I was focused on some tiny, insignificant detail. I would say that sacred moments often stay hidden until we look up. Sacred moments often stay hidden until we look up and we notice that the walls of water are being held back for our safety and for our freedom and for our liberation and our redemption and our restoration. And so, in order to become the kind of people that Paul is asking us to be, in order to shine like stars, we have to be willing to go through difficult things. We have to be willing to walk through that sea that's been parted. And we need to accept difficult things not as signs that God is absent, but as signs and invitations to keep going, to get through it, to slog through the mud, because you can get through on the other side and be a better person, a person who's different. And that's what we're called to. We're called to be new people, people that remember, people that are reminded of a larger story, a story of heaven on earth. And so my hope and my prayer for us at the corner of 116th and Michigan is that we would be different so that we can make a difference, that we would shine in a culture around us that lifts up grumbling and complaining. Father, we thank you for who you are. We're thankful for the gift of your son, Jesus. And we're thankful for those in our midst that shine like stars. God, may we recognize those people in our lives and may we strive with everything that we are and all the strength that you can give us to be those stars in our world. Let us not gong anymore. Let us not just make noise with our mouth. But let us love others in a way that it's impossible to not see you. It's in your son's name. Amen.